You're listening to ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Numbers show that there are 10 million diabetics under treatment today. Diabetes is growing at a 5% annual growth rate, which is faster than the general population growth in the U.S. today. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Shira Johnson, and with me today is Dr. Noah Berkowitz, President and CEO of Altion Incorporated, a drug research company in New Jersey that has been developing new drugs that address the cardiovascular complications of diabetes. Welcome. Dr. Johnson. Today we'll be discussing not only a new way of evaluating risk for diabetic patients, but also the new drug in development which addresses that risk. Tell us, Dr. Berkowitz, out of the millions of patients that we treat with diabetes, who is at risk for the complications of end organ damage? In fact, the reason that we treat diabetes is not just to help manage people's blood sugar, but the reason we treat the disease is because they go on to develop cardiovascular complications and end organ damage, as you allude to. If we had the ability to identify which of those patients is at highest risk and which patients are at low risk for developing those complications, the targeting of our interventions for these patients would be drastically different than it is today. One of the goals of our company is to identify which patients are at high and low risk with a specialized diagnostic test and then use a specialized therapeutic product that can be targeted to the highest risk patients. So tell us, how can your company better identify um, diabetics with that risk factor? Not all diabetics are created equal. And in fact, some patients with diabetes are more likely to progress to severe cardiovascular complications. In fact, that risk of advancing towards complications seems to be associated with a variant of a ubiquitous protein in the serum called haptoglobin. We have the ability to identify different haptoglobin types. There are three different types in the general population that can be commonly identified. And one of those types is associated with high risk for cardiovascular complications in diabetes. Another type is associated with an intermediate risk, and the final type is associated with low risk. How did you come to identify this haptoglobin genetic blueprint? Well, it goes back to some really good science that Dr. Levy performed some years ago. In fact, he focused on glycated hemoglobin, which is elevated in patients with diabetes, mm -hmm. and explore how glycated hemoglobin can contribute to vascular disease. And what he recognized is that glycated hemoglobin is highly oxidatively active and can, through that oxidation process, damage proteins, lipids, and DNA and trigger some type of vascular damage. He then asked the question, what is it in the bloodstream that can protect against that vascular damage, and he recognized haptoglobin, the natural binding protein for hemoglobin, as a likely target. And when he began to look at variants of those haptoglobin and looked at their ability to inhibit that hemoglobin-mediated vascular damage, lo and behold, he found that one of the forms was very effective, another form was rather ineffective, and uh, an intermediate form had an intermediate effectiveness. Were you able to test this in a large-scale population studies to see how well it bore out? Sure. In fact, that was the next step. Once there was some understanding of how the disease might work in, in diabetes or how it could be linked to haptoglobin, uh, the question 
was asked, could we see this epidemiologically in the population? So Dr. Levy collaborated with several large prospective clinical trials in which patients were followed or treated for several years. In some cases, in other cases, it involved following patients for a shorter period of time. And um, he was able to evaluate the samples from those patients to determine what haptoglobin type was present. When he analyzed the results, he observed that different haptoglobin types were associated with a different risk of disease complications. Okay, so when you know a haptoglobin genotype is at risk, what's the next logical step? Well, I guess the first question that I'd have to answer is what are some of those risks that were borne out by those prospective trials? And that would allow us to to focus on the intervention. So one of the studies that he performed was analyzing the strong heart study, which is a rather famous study for which thousands of papers have been published over the years, in which a group of patients that had a high preponderance of diabetes in it were followed for 12 years. And he found that haptoglobin 2, the high-risk type, was associated in diabetics with a five- to seven-fold increased risk of MI, stroke, and cardiovascular-related death as compared to haptoglobin 1, which is the low-risk haptoglobin type in the diabetic patient. Uh, That would suggest to us that if we could identify patients' haptoglobin type at the time of their initial diagnosis, we would want to intervene more aggressively in their treatment to try to diminish those long-term cardiovascular risk factors uh, if they have the bad haptoglobin type. And if they have the good haptoglobin type, maybe you wouldn't have to intervene as aggressively. A similar result was observed when he reanalyzed the HOPE study, which was a cohort of patients who were exposed to ramipril, vitamin E, individually or together, uh, and that was compared to placebo. And patients were followed for almost five years to look at their, their risk of or their rate of MI, stroke, death, and other cardiovascular complications. Which is very important for us to know. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. We're speaking with Dr. Noah Berkowitz about cardiovascular risk for diabetic patients and some very interesting research that he's been doing. So now with all these facts at your fingertips, how do you know the right drugs to give to the right patients at the right time? Well, we're in the process of commercializing this diagnostic test. Uh, There is already one reference lab in the United States, ARUP, A-R-U-P in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is offering the haptoglobin test as a tool for physicians who want to discriminate cardiovascular risk for their patients. You know, if they've had an opportunity to read our our publications and would choose to send samples to the reference lab for that reason. And we hope over the course of the year to make this test available to other reference labs and other hospitals throughout the country. Now, we know that medicine is an art as well as a science, and theories aren't always foolproof. How do you take this knowledge that you've developed um, and apply it to treating patients in the future while allowing for the art of medicine? I think that this goes to the very heart of how clinicians treat patients for their cardiovascular disease. What we tend to do is develop a risk profile for patients. We look at a patient to determine their uh, gender, their ethnicity, whether or not they have a disease like diabetes, whether they're smoking, 
whether they're obese or have other risk factors. An important independent risk factor now that we, under, that we now understand is this haptoglobin type, particularly in the patients who have diabetes. The art of medicine now would be to determine how you will modify the aggressiveness of your treatment of risk factors in patients with diabetes who have this bad haptoglobin type 2-2, which puts them at high risk for cardiovascular events, and maybe treat them more aggressively than they would treat the haptoglobin 1-1 diabetic patients who are at such low risk. How close is this research to the bedside toward helping the hand of the primary care provider who's prescribing the medicines? I think the real opportunity for physicians to improve their practice is to have a directed therapy that can be used in these patients, a targeted therapy. And we are, in fact, involved in developing targeted therapies, one in particular that might be extremely useful in this patient population. Our goal would be to bring this goal to market within about four years. How does this drug that you've developed actually attack the genetic defect? The drug under development, which we call ALT2074, is a small molecule that's given orally that is uh, a structural class called an organoselenium compound. And this particular compound mimics the activity of a naturally occurring enzyme in the human body called glutathione peroxidase. Glutathione peroxidase is the only enzyme, it appears to us, in the human body that can oxidize lipid hydroperoxide. Since the patients who have this haptoglobin variant and diabetes have a increased level of oxidized lipids, which we can show mechanistically may play an important role in their increased cardiovascular risk, it would seem logical and appropriate to target this metabolizing drug to this patient population, and we're currently designing and implementing clinical trials that are testing that hypothesis. You know, every small company has limited resources. If your resources were unlimited, where would you take this science next? Well, I think if you have limited resources or unlimited resources, they should be used appropriately. And so we've put together a development plan for the drug that allows us to test the efficacy of this compound in our target patient population in a small phase two clinical trial setting. And we would expect to expand that into late stage phase two studies and then a phase three study. To be more specific, we're currently conducting a study in Israel in which we are taking patients who are experiencing an angioplasty, but only patients with diabetes with an angioplasty. And we're giving them the drug around the time of the angioplasty to look at how how well that drug protects the heart muscle from the very small but controlled and reproducible amount of heart muscle damage that is caused during the angioplasty procedure. And our goal would be to demonstrate that the amount of heart muscle damage decreases when they receive the drug as opposed to when they receive the placebo. We're also planning to implement shortly a phase two clinical study in which we can explore different dose levels of this drug and see the impact on inflammatory markers and oxidized lipids. Armed with that phase two information, we'd march ahead and do an advanced phase two study in which we give the drugs to high-risk diabetic patients, those with this haptoglobin 2 genotype or phenotype, and, it, and give it to those patients who are presenting with an acute coronary syndrome 
and seek to decrease the size of their myocardial infarction, the size of their ischemic damage to, to the heart muscle. And if we can demonstrate these successive points, we'd certainly want to go ahead in a phase three program sometime in the year 2009 or so, or 2010, in which we can test this drugs in a larger cohort of patients so that we can submit registration-ready data to the FDA and have this drug approved as a targeted therapy. I want to thank Dr. Noah Berkowitz, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing the evaluation of risk of cardiovascular disease in patients with diabetes and an exciting new class of drugs that's shown potential to reverse or slow down diseases from the complications of diabetes. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.